this six-part series, It's All About Jesus. And I know we've, we've really, maybe you feel like I've beaten this to death, but that's kind of the point, is to really just go, all right, this is all about Jesus. And we've talked about the humility of Jesus. We talked about community. We talked about our identity. We talked about our mission. We talked about worship. And this is the last one to summarize the whole series, and it's called The Glory of Jesus. We're going to be reading, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, the text. I'm going to be going through a lot of text today. Um, I don't know if the lights, Derek, if you can, if you can give us a little more lighting, that would be helpful. Um, but in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 4, 6. So we're basically going to go through an entire chapter today. Please be aware of that. It's a lot of text, and I promise I will power through it as best we can today, okay? But I, we, this, this section of verse was chosen because I believe it summarizes all the things that we've already talked about, the community, the identity, our worship, and, uh, uh, oh man, mission. mission, thank you. <laughs> it's written right down right here. And mission as well. I'm glad Rocco's here. Thank you, bro. Um, and, and how it's all unlocked by the glory of Jesus, okay? So let's, uh, let's jump right into that. So let me talk about what glory is. Let me define it for you because it's kind of a religious term, right? Glory is anything that holds beauty, right? It's the preciousness of God. I'm going to say another big word, but the preeminence of God, the prominence of God, the overarching greatness of God is his glory. The magnificent, magnificence, easy for you to say, <laughs> the excellence and epic nature of God. This is what glory is. We use some of our words, some common words to, to say it would be, Captivating, altogether enthralling, jaw-dropping, earth-shattering, breathtaking. We use all these things that would explain the glory of God. See, we're built to be images of God, and we talked about that in our identity, that we are built to be ones that reflect the image of God. If God loves us, we image that back to Him, and that's worship. When God loves us and we image that to others, that's community. And so we are built to be image bearers, and because God is so glorious, we are built to be imagers of the glorious. And so we all, we're constantly seeking that which is glorious. That's why we go out and, uh, and we'll go to a basketball game, and we watch the basketball player do some this athlete, just do something amazing, and we jump to our feet, and it's amazing. Everybody's clapping, everybody's cheering, because, I don't know, Michael Jordan just jumped from the free throw line and slammed it in somebody's face. That's amazing. And we look to the screens and we watch for the playback and we watch it over and over again. We tweet and we talk about it. And we send the video to our friends. Can you see this? This is amazing. That's something that's glorious to us. And we're seekers of the glorious because of the way God has made us. Another example of, of um, glory is like uh, we, we go to beautiful places in nature. There's lots of We like to camp. We like to go out. If you've gone, gone to the Grand Canyon or you go just, just even someplace like Hawking Hills or even to any of our parks here, just watch it. It's glorious when you think about nature in and of itself and how all these animals and everything in life just springs up from the dirt. I can't even wrap my mind around it. I'm not a scientist. But it's glorious when you think about it. And that's why we get off into nature and we go to experience that to behold something that's amazing. My personal life one of the greatest moments of glory that I can remember, and it's a shame she's not here because I'm going to earn so many points with this, but, but my greatest memory of glory was the day I got married. And I was standing, and because of the way we were doing our wedding, 
we were gonna do pictures before the wedding happened because we didn't want people to have to wait and sit around. There's that awkward time in between the ceremony and the reception. It's just horrible. So we wanted to avoid it. So just take it from me. If you're planning a wedding anytime soon, it's horrible, okay? Anyway, so we, we, we decided to do our pictures beforehand, which means I got to see my bride um, beforehand. And you're not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be bad luck. But they had me stand in the front because they didn't want to cheapen the experience for me. So I stood in the front like I would have been if she was going to walk down the aisle. And they had me face the, the altar this way, and they cleared everybody out of the room. It was just me and the photographer. And I, they even kind of lowered the lights a little bit. It was much like this. And the aisle was here, and I had my back, back to the aisle for where she was going to come in. And I remember standing there. It was just me and the photographer. It was so quiet that I, I heard something click, and I thought it was her, and shudders went through my body. And I got chills, and I said, oh, she's here. She's here. It's the moment I get to see her. And uh, it actually turned out somebody had put their head in and said, she's coming. So it was. <laughs> but still, it, it just shook me. And I remember when she finally did come in, the photographer's over there taking pictures. And she knew Shanda, so she's just weeping. Oh, taking pictures. And, and I'm like, oh, gosh, please stop. You know, this is already hard enough for me as it is. And then she said, you can turn around. And when I turned around, it was like Shanda was underneath one of these things and there was nothing else on. You, you, they talk about these moments, right? And we see them in the movies. The movies use it to illustrate the point. But there was no world around her. And she shone in that light in her dress. And she lit up. It was the most glorious thing I've ever seen in my life. Seriously. It was breathtaking to me. And I couldn't believe that... This was going to be my bride. This was going to be my wife. I was just struck. And I couldn't speak. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't even cry. I couldn't. And I, I'm a crier. You, you can ask anybody that knows me. I'm, I'm a crier. Drop the hat. I'm going to weep. That's just going to happen. I'm sorry. I have a sensitive heart. If you make fun of me, I will cry. <laughs> but my wife was just the gl most glorious thing I've ever seen. And it was just that moment. It's amazing. And so we, we love these glorious experiences. We seek them. And we're image bearers like that. <clears throat> we want to celebrate that kind of glory. That's why we enjoy good food, good architecture, cine cinematography, art. We love to celebrate giving life. God is glorious. Unfortunately, this insatiable appetite towards the glorious will compel us toward God or things or idols. And to that end, uh, to, to whatever we chase after, that's when we start chasing after the creation and not our creator, right? And uh, so that's the problem. So let's jump right into the, to the verses here. We're, we're gonna, this, this first section is how Jesus' glory defines our identity. So the slide is um, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11. Uh, I'll read through it and then I'll unpack it a little bit for you, okay? Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. What? 
Anybody there with me? What? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your help. What? So let me, let's go back to the beginning here. And he's talking about Moses. It says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone, that's the, that's the Ten Commandments, right? This is, we're talking, he, Paul is making a reference to what the Jews would have known, what the people of the time would have known, which was the history of the law that was given, okay? And he's talking about when Moses went up on the mountaintop and he came down with the Ten Commandments, okay? And so Moses came down, it says, and he came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. Have you ever taken a stick and stuck it into a fire and just left it there for a little bit? And when you pull it out, once the fire is gone, it still glows with it, like it's, it's just, it's burning from inside, right? That's essentially what happened with Moses. He goes up on the mountaintop and he's hanging out with God in all of his glory and his splendor. And he comes down off the mountain carrying two huge stone tablets and his face is lit up like a Christmas tree, okay? The guy's just, he's, he's imaging literally and physically the glory of God. The Bible said it, I didn't make it up. So looking at me like, that's impossible. It's there. I don't know how that would work. Maybe some makeup and a light. I don't know. We can make that happen. But <clears throat> Moses is literally reflecting this glory. And, be, and what happened is Moses stopped being in the presence of God in such a way that glory eventually faded from his face. But it says, came with so much glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to the end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, condemnation, that's a big word, and if you misunderstand me, you think I'm talking about something else. Condemnation is about giving you an expected end. It is saying, this is who you are, I've judged you, this is it. That's <coughs> condemnation. I'm condemning you. A judge will condemn you or sentence you to death. I'm giving you a final, this is it. The ministry of condemnation is found in the law. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he gave him those and said, hey, this is the law. Thou shalt not this. And so those ten things. And out of those ten things, 600, over 600 additional laws were written to protect the original Ten Commandments. Over 600. So they, they, they didn't even get close to those original ten. And so the people, the, the people felt their shame because there was like, this is impossible to live up to. But that's the ministry of condemnation. God was giving them the law so that they realized that they needed God in their life. He was giving them the law to say, you can't live this way. This, this is the perfect way to live. And everybody who, who realized it or who heard it realized that they were sinners. That's the ministry of condemnation. And it has a purpose. But that in and of itself is not enough for us. And so Moses comes down off the mountain and the people are worshiping a golden calf, which meant they were seeking an identity in this idol and, and what this idol would give them. And, and the calf was like a, an, an idol of fertility for them. And so literally there, there, there are sexual perversions going on. There's orgies happening and everybody is really just pouring themselves into each other. They're celebrating, they're dancing, they're singing. And Moses arrives at this scene and is just taken back because they've lost their identity. They were no longer children of God. Moses had been up on the mountain for so long that they decided to build themselves something to worship. And so he comes down, and of course we know if you've ever seen Charlton Heston, he throws down the stone tablets and he breaks them, and, and, uh, and that happened. And then Moses goes back up on the mountain and gets another one. 
But the law was only a ministry of condemnation by itself. If you were to compare yourself to the law of God, you would feel guilty and condemned because the law is used to reveal our sin and rebellion. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, though, Jesus summarized the law and says, the law is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. Now, when we compare ourselves to that, to that summary, do we do that? No. No. And to love others as you love yourself. This is the continuation of what Jesus said when he's summarizing the law, those 600 rules and the original 10 commandments. And to love others as you love yourself. Even in this simplification of the laws, we find ourselves condemned. Because do we do those things? No. Those things and, and the violation of those things is sin. We need to stop being afraid of that word and just let it be what it is. Sin is sin. And because sin exists, we need a savior. That's what the, the ministry of condemnation was for. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know this verse. You probably know it as something part, called uh, the part of the Roman road. If anybody was ever to walk up to you and say, excuse me, sir, do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? They're going to walk you through something called the Roman road. And this is one of the very first things that they talk to you about. They say, all of us are sinners. <clears throat> Get that bottle of water off That means I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. All of us have sinned. That way none of us look at each other's sin. Thank you, sir. That way none of us look at each other's sin. We only look at our sin. It's this equal playing field that all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. The law is good and we are bad. And what comes from all of this? The ministry of righteousness, which is what Jesus gives us. And in him, we find, we find our identity. Here's the deal. We're all sinners, right? Every single one of us. That's what that verse just said. But Jesus having never sinned, being fully submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit, he never fell short of the glory of God. And so when he gave himself as a sacrifice for us, for us, that means that we literally get to take on his identity. The ministry of righteousness is now far exceeding the ministry of condemnation. So he's talking about the glory, the glory that was assigned to the ministry of condemnation. That's the old stuff. Now the glory of, of the ministry of righteousness is here. And that's found in Jesus. Jesus submitted himself for our debt of sin, past, present, and future on the cross, and in his resurrection, he gives us righteousness. Now, we can live our lives by the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Not perfect, but a humble, repentant, growing relationship with Christ. And we get this identity because of Jesus. There's a, there's a Bible story that you may be familiar with uh, about Jacob and Esau. Excuse me. <laughs> And Jacob and Esau were brothers born to Isaac. And uh, Jacob was a very tender guy. He stayed at home. He was mama's boy. He cooked. He cleaned. He stuck around the house. And Esau was a wild man. He was a hunter. And Esau would, would bring home the bacon. And, and sometimes he would stay out so long that he would, he would just starve himself being on the prowl. And, Je and, and uh, Isaac did something that no father should ever do. He loved one son more than the other. And that was Esau. And so Jacob came before his father when his father was dying, old, blind, couldn't see. And he came before his father and he, and he came in dressed like Esau. He put on 
skin on his arms, <coughs> made himself smell like him, he made himself act like him, and he came before his father, and he wanted his father's blessing. The blessing would be the blessing that the firstborn son, which would have been Esau, should have got. And he came in as, as a con man, as a trickster, and he stole his brother's birthright, that birthright being the full blessing of the father, all of his possessions, the house, and all that. And that's just like us. We're con men. We're sinners. We're liars. We're thieves. We're, we're, we are no good in and of ourselves. But when we put on Jesus, when we put on his righteousness, the Father blesses us because we're putting on the one son that he loves. <laughs> and so that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we're just like that. But God puts his hands on us and blesses us with righteousness when we clothe ourselves with the son that he loves. So our identity is that we are clothed in Jesus. I've got a note here that says, boom, because apparently when I wrote this, that was really powerful to me. So to think about it later. It'll be all right. It doesn't have to be powerful to you. Maybe Jesus was speaking to me. So let's move on to the next section. So Jesus' glory liberates our worship. In 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 17, it says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for the, to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the glory of Jesus is what makes possible our worship. Worship is tied to Scripture. And there are two kinds of people. Those who come to the Bible and read it with a veil over their, over their understanding. They don't grasp it. And so they don't understand that it has to do with their heart. It doesn't understand, they don't understand that it has to do with total submission, a relinquishment of their pride, a relinquishment of their rights, that they're to become servants like Jesus. They don't get that. And so what they turn the Scriptures into is religion. They start living a life of rules. And here's what happens. Is you've probably been to one of those kind of churches where they've got a lot of rules. They go, you can't live this way. You can't do that way. You're not allowed to have that weakness. Or you're not allowed to have that kind of flaw in your life. But that's not what the scriptures are all about. That's not what it's about. It's just not. And then the second kind of person is those who read it and are condemned. So the first group is the one that has religion, has the laws. And that's that ministry of condemnation. But there's the second ones that read it and, and they're condemned. But then they, they rejoice because they realize that Jesus has that ministry of righteousness. And that they're forgiven. That no matter where they are in life, no matter what part of the process that God's got them in, that they're part of his righteousness. So Paul uses Moses as a comparison to how people are with the Bible. As they read, there's a veil over their eyes. And so the context of the passage, Moses veiled himself either, either because the glory was fading or because that glory shone, that, that shone forth reminded people of their sin. And either way, the veil kept people from seeing the glory of God in the face of Moses. Whichever way you believe that is in the scriptures, that's what it was for. It was that they were not able to see the glory because of the veil. And if you can't see Jesus in the Bible, you end up just being religious. You live rules, 
under the ministry of condemnation and you never experience the love of God. A lot of us would think that a good sermon is one that we walk away from when we feel horrible about ourselves. We go home and we cry and repent and we go, I'm such a, I'm such a filthy person. And we think that's a good sermon, but that's not where a good sermon should stop. A good sermon says, hey, we're filthy, we're horrible, but Jesus. Amen? Amen. And when we get to that point, we can begin to worship. And so Jesus, the glory of Jesus, unlocks our worship by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's that ministry of righteousness. And so the law is glorious, but it's impossible. It's necessary to see our sin and necessary for us to see the righteousness through Jesus. So the question is, how do you read your Bible? Do you see Jesus who lived, died, and rose again and freed us from our sin and the curse of the law? Or do you see it as a bunch of rules and regulations that you're going to live and then you're going to put on everybody else and make sure they live them as well and are just as miserable as you? Just asking. The laws of God are external. They tell us how to live. But the new covenant with, with God's spirit in us because of what Jesus did for us helps us to live that way. See, condemnation without righteousness is God giving rules but no help. Condemnation with righteousness is God giving these, this law and providing a, a means of, of restoration. Jesus' glory creates our community. Next slide. It says, and we all, I'm at 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this spirit comes from the Lord who is spirit. The verse says, and we all, that's us. That's the church. With unveiled faces means that, that we have turned to Christ. The last verse says that when you turn to, to Christ, that veil is lifted or that veil is removed. And so we are able to worship him and be in community with each other because that veil has been lifted. So it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. If you're a Christian, you get to see Jesus because the Holy Spirit enables us to see him. And just like Moses did on the mountain, we get to see the glory of Jesus as he is our righteousness. And in that, we get transformed where our worship gets better and better. Like logs cast onto a fire before God, we learn to burn together more brightly by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of it for Jesus. How do we stop sinning and become worshipers? How do we allow this, this work of righteousness to work, or the ministry of righteousness to work in our lives? <coughs> How do you be transformed? What well, it says right there in the verse, says by beholding the glory of the Lord. So by looking at Jesus in all of his glory, you are transformed. I said it in one of the first weeks. I said, you become like what you behold. So what is it you're beholding? What are you listening to throughout the week? What are you watching? Where are you sowing your time? Where, is your, where are you sowing your mind? If you want to stop the, the cycle of sin in your life, you have to behold Jesus in all of his glory. You have to. That's the way that transformation comes. It says that, that we are transformed into the same image, and that image is of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. That means little by little, folks. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Aaron, I don't read my Bible at all. Great. 
Spend five minutes a day doing it. Try it. Try it one day a week. That's a step. Then every two days a week, five minutes, that's a step. I'm just encouraging you to allow God to draw you into his presence, to transform you from glory to glory. You can't keep looking at Jesus without being motivated, transformed, and compelled. It's impossible. So what are you beholding? You either obtain or maintain a craving for what you feed yourself. Like if I continue to eat pizza, which it's evident that I do. <laughs> I have this constant craving for pizza. When I, when I don't know what I'm going to have for dinner, I've got a craving. It's a nag. And I've decided to change that this past week. Amen? <laughs> Try not to be a mega church anymore and just be a smaller temple of the Lord. <laughs> be a little hut would be nice. A hut with, a hut with guns. <laughs> All right, we're being serious here, okay? So you'll hear this refrain over and over in the scriptures, and this is possible by the Holy Spirit. That transforming process is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's our counselor, our teacher, our comforter, and he is the power to behold the glory of the Lord. In my own life, I have seen, I have seen the glory of God. In couples, we had, we had a couple that joined us in, our, in one of our grow groups where they walked in, and we didn't know this until about the second or third week. They weren't even, it was a marriage group, and they came in, and they weren't even living together. Married, weren't even living together. He had his own place, and she had her own place. And through community, through relationship with them, through prayer, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, if I can remove all those, I can just say, power of the Holy Spirit. These guys have been restored. That's glorious to me. That only happens in community. They decided to forgive each other. They decided to move back in. They're building a house together. Their lives and their relationships have been completely turned around. Completely. And God has just done this amazing thing. It's glorious. I've seen a child who by all reports should have died. By all reports should have died. By doctors saying, we don't know what's going on. And that child healed and restored. That's glorious. That's amazing to me. Behold the glory of God. I've seen addicts delivered. Behold the glory of God. And I'm talking about myself when I say that. In my own life, I've seen relationships restored with people. Long-term relationships and friendships that have been broken apart for years and years. That by the power of God, he's restored them. That's glorious. You, you, we seek that. We want to watch that in a movie. We want to watch the guy and the girl get together. And we want to watch them go through a little turmoil and then have impossible circumstances where they're separated even by an ocean if possible. That's a little more dramatic. And then they wind up at the top of the same building in Seattle. Isn't that right? That's glorious. That's relationship restored. That's amazing, and that's what God does in our community, and he does it. I've seen brokenness healed, bitterness released in the hearts of men and women, people giving forgiveness to each other. This is not an everyday occurrence. This is glorious to me, and it's wonderful to behold. Another way to see the glory of God is to come to church 
Be a part of it. Maybe you're one of those ones that says, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be there. But when we come together and we worship, it's a glorious thing. I sit at the back of the sanctuary most weeks, and I just behold what God is doing here. And I look at everybody who's here, and I say, God, this is a wonder. I'm amazed that anybody's shown up. I'm being honest with you. This is a wonder. What God has allowed us to do here in, in Reynoldsburg, who we are allowed to minister to and who he's given to us to minister along with is glorious. This is the church, and it is a wonder. And people don't like to come because we replace everything God has given us with rules and condemnation instead of that ministry of righteousness that Jesus gives and that identity we find in him. And so Jesus is glorious, the source of our worship, our community, and identity. This is the last one. And I promise in closing. Jesus' glory compels our ministry. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, because that's the only way we have it, folks. The mercy of God. God gave us something or didn't give us what we deserved. That's mercy. He gave us the ability to minister to people, to each other, to this world. It says, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that means Satan, by the way, has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of what? Of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as, our, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's amazing to me. We've been given this ministry to love people. As God pours into our lives, we're to pour back into other people's lives. But that only happens because of the glory of Jesus. Who Jesus is is wrapped up in who we are and who we're supposed to be to each other. And then as we serve, it is our compulsion, our drive, The glory of God is supremely made known in the face of Jesus. There are another two kinds of people. Those who see Jesus as Lord, where nothing is as important as Jesus, and others who have been blinded by the God of this world, Satan. And they don't see him. They maybe see him as a good man. They maybe see him as, as somebody of the time who said good sayings and then went around and did good things. But maybe they aren't acknowledging him as Lord. And if you're here today and that's where you are, I'm okay with that. But I'm praying for you. Not that you get better, but that you would have the scales or, or the, the veil that is on your eyes lifted so that you can see Jesus in all of his glory. Because this is not about you. This is not about you being a sinner. This is not about you or your failures. It's not about that. It's about Jesus, and it's about our response to that. It isn't like Jesus is hiding from us. It's just that those who can't see him have their eyes closed. And as Christians, we gaze through the window of scriptures. 
when we see Jesus. For others, they see a wall. They don't see him. But that's our responsibility, to live that life, to exemplify him. Jesus said they'll know you because of how you treat each other. People say, I don't see it. I don't see this Jesus, no matter how much you show them. They don't see their sin. They don't see God's love. They see rules, and they can't because they're blinded. My encouragement to you is don't yell at them. Don't push them because no matter how hard you push them or how, how hard you yell at a blind person, you can't make them see. You can't. You can be angry that they're stumbling. You can be angry that they don't know where things are. You can be angry that, that, that they constantly stub their toes on the furniture. Fine. But to me, that seems like an exhausting life to be angry at a blind person. My encouragement to you is to pray. Is to pray for them. Your ministry is about proclamation and about service. And so we see Jesus, the glory of Jesus, releasing us to minister. You can proclaim, which means to tell people, right? That's the air attack. You get to tell people about Jesus. But then there's the ground attack, which is where you get to serve them, showing them the gospel in action. Showing them unmerited favor. It means they didn't deserve it. Unmerited favor. Why are you being so nice to me? Jesus has blessed me, bro, and I just want to bless you. Is that such a hard answer to give? That's an easy one. Whoa, Jesus blessed you? What, what does that mean? And now you've got a whole conversation you get to have with somebody. Unmerited favor and grace. We display that to people. We're to present ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake is what it said. And therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And it's so easy when you begin in ministry to be to lose heart. People that you're working with may move on. The, even the core team that we have that has launched this church, they may not be with us forever. They may be the reason that you're here, but maybe they move on to plant another church. And that makes it hard for you. Some of you, it may have been even hard for you to decide to leave another church to come here. Or even if you don't even believe in Jesus, it might have even been just hard for you to get here today. But when you're in ministry, don't lose heart. Because it's so easy to do. It takes time and energy to sustain it. And there are times that I do start to, to lose heart. There are times that, that the needs of the people are overwhelming for me. The demands of, of pastoring people and doing the business of it and constantly switching gears. It's overwhelming for me. I'm new at this. I've never done it before. <coughs> but when I behold... The glory of Jesus. I'll try to be better by next week. Pray for me this week. Appreciate it. <coughs> when I behold the glory of Jesus, every sacrifice, every day that I live, every opportunity and ministry that I have is worth it. Because the Holy Spirit compels me to live my life in such a way that when those that encounter me, and I encourage you to do this too, that they see the glory of Jesus. <coughs> wow. And I'm compelled and motivated to give my all and more for one life to be restored. 
it's worth it. If one person comes to see the glory of Jesus, Paul said it this way, and I found this amazing in my, my personal study this week. It had nothing to do with this. This is free, in other words. And I found it curious that Paul said, I wish that I could be accursed and not even be in the presence of God anymore so that all of my fellow men, so that all of you would know Jesus. He loved God so much. He knew the glory of God was that great that he wished he himself could be separated so that everyone else, he felt if that sacrifice would do it, that he would do it. Jesus made that sacrifice and he didn't have to. It's just amazing to me.